Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Code Concepts with myself, Rachel Patterson, and Pete Roquet. Um, I'm joining you here today remotely, so hopefully my connection will be uh, okay. Um, if not, we'll pivot and we'll we'll make it work. So we have an extra special guest, as always, on with us today, um, a guest who has uh, pulled on my heartstrings, and we have a special connection. So I cannot wait to hear more about what she has to tell us today, and so we'd love to welcome Welcome the wonderful Jennifer Morris. She is the multi-jurisdictional cannabis enforcement group coordinator for Riverside County, California. Good morning, Jennifer. How are you today? I'm great. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. And we love having Jennifer on. One of the, you know, um, so Jennifer hosts this awesome multi-jurisdictional uh, platform <laughs> where jurisdictions across California get to talk about their different type of enforcement activities in the world of cannabis. Now, you know, so, and some, some jurisdictions allow it, some prohibit it, and some have, you know, um, if you have a permit, then you can, you, you can do stuff. But we have a lot of uh, places that, um, that just go off the whim and, you know, just destroy everything. So, and, and we get to hear those stories and, and these type of meetings they're excellent because you're hearing different perspectives from different jurisdictions of what they're doing. And sometimes you get to hear other ideas. So, um, you know, so in our city, we were super strict. So I'm going to shut up real quick and let Jennifer talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, before um, we get started, we always like to hear the origin story, Jennifer. So can okay. you tell us a little bit of how you got into code enforcement? Okay, great. Um, so I have been an employee of Riverside County since uh, 2003. Uh, I grew up, my grandmother was the first uh, court clerk, uh, female court clerk in uh, the state of California, and that was in Riverside County. So as I was growing up, uh, I was really instilled with a uh, very strong value of public servitude and the pride that came with working for Riverside County or any government. My uh, grandfather uh, worked for Food which, you know, fed people, especially during the war. And uh, there was just a lot of um, pride instilled in, in serving the public. So I, when I got hired with Riverside County, I was, I was just so excited. I felt a, a sense of pride that I still feel today, you know, working for the county and being part of something where you can actually serve the public. And I was, uh, I worked in hazardous materials. I was a hazardous material responder for the county of Riverside, um, mainly worked with, uh, you know, illegal dumping of hazardous chemicals in county landfills, environmental crimes that would occur for Riverside County, those kind of things. And I fell in and saw that the code enforcement department was hiring. And I thought, you know what, that's something I really think that I would like to do. So I applied and I got the job and I was a code officer and I worked in uh, an area right outside of Paris, California in the unincorporated area. And I were, I've been working with them ever since. So I came over in 2007 and I uh, had an opportunity. My department gave me an opportunity, which was just a great opportunity in 2019. Uh, they said, hey, we want to we do a cannabis team. Uh, cannabis was, we had a lot of illegal cannabis that was happening in the county. And they said, 
what do you think? Would you like to be like the interim supervisor of this cannabis team? And I was an officer at the time and I was like, oh, you mean senior? And they're like, no, we, we mean supervisor. And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> my my dreams come true and now I get to do this something that what well, I was feeling really passionate about at the time as an officer I get to take this and I get to make like a program and and really you know make it my own and uh, so in 2019, I was the interim and then I interviewed for it and I got the permanent placement. And now here today in 2022, I have, I'm a supervisor. Um, my department was just awesome. They, they opened up uh, the board. They went to the board and they said, Hey, she needs a senior. And so they're giving me a senior officer placement and I have three officers and we handle the entire unincorporated Riverside County. So we go all the way from San Diego border to Arizona border to the Orange County border. And uh, we, we did over 800 cases last year opened and closed. So the, the team really works hard. It's very dynamic. And um, it's, just, it's just, I guess if you had asked me, you know, five years ago, right now I'm living what my wildest dream was five years ago actually getting to do what I love. Well, and that's what I wanted to know is, you know, did you come into it thinking, okay, cannabis, want to deal with cannabis, or was this just something that was then given to you and then became your passion? Well, in 2013 and 2014, I started seeing in the area that I worked that there was a lot of cannabis cultivation that was going on. There would be acres and acres of it. We started out, I think, one year, there was like three grows. And I said, wow, this is like, isn't this illegal? What's wrong with this? And then the next year, there was 100 grows. And then the next year, I couldn't even count how many grows there were. So in 2015, Riverside County passed an ordinance that was the medical marijuana ordinance that said, hey, Riverside County is okay with people growing their medicine if they want to grow their medicine, but here is the limits on what you can actually grow. So in July 2015, uh, since my area had a majority of the illegal cultivations, I was the one that was going out and, and starting to kind of find my sea legs and, and find out, you know, what was working and doing enforcement, partnering with law enforcement as much as we could. How can we really take a smaller group of people and, you know, really make a splash that, that is more, uh, that will bring out uh, more enforcement or more compliance. And also at that time, I had an area that had a large amount of illegal dispensaries. Uh, so at that time, Riverside County did not allow dispensaries. And what we were doing was not, what had been done before was not really working in getting these dispensaries to stop, you know, operating. So I was then brought in to uh, my supervisor at the time said, hey, I think you're doing a really good job at the cultivation. I'd like to have you come and address these dispensaries. And so I worked with um, our county council. We did a lot of uh, changing of how things were being done and really became so responsive to, you know, shutting them down that it, within a year, we were able to shut down all the illegal dispensaries that were in the area that I had um, had. And that's when, at that time, they asked me if I wanted to take it countywide. 
what I had uh, been doing in my area. Wow, it sounds like there's a lot of collaboration there. I mean, with everything we do in this industry, as we all know, collaboration is key and in, it's so important. But it sounds like you had a really good group, you know, between yourself, the, your team, um, possibly fire, police. How did that relationship really, you know, come about? Well, I mean, this is going to sound kind of silly, but it started with somebody believing in me and saying, hey, you can do this. And it took a lot of, of me just bugging people. Hey, I, 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 what do you think about this? How about this? Um, I had a little trick that I would use because, you know, county council, they charge you every time you like talk to them. They're, they're your attorney. So I would say, hey, do you want to go to lunch? And then me and the attorneys would go to lunch and then I would say, well, I'm thinking about this. I, I mean, definitely it was not something that I did alone. I uh, County council was uh, really involved. Uh, the sheriff's department was really involved. And in the early days when we first started and then that blossomed to where now I work with the agricultural commissioner. I work with um, planning and building and safety and all these stakeholders that really have come in and, uh, you know, been able to add uh, ideas, you know, enforcement ideas and you know, take it to the next level because, you know, now we're in an era Riverside County allows cultivation by permit. They allow dispensaries by permit. So the future for us is also, you know, the, the, the legal market. And how do we, you know, we're not just there to jam people up. We're also there to make sure that the legal market succeeds so that uh, what the voters and what the county's board of supervisors envisioned is able to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Real quick, sorry, Pete, Kate, to keep taking the, the mic here, but um, a good morning to all of our guests as well. And as we all know, you know, Miss Jennifer Morris is so inspirational. We already have a beautiful comment from Miss Cece, just like to read to you real quick. It says Riverside County has a great model program for cannabis enfor enforcement, rather. Uh, Jennifer, you are a wealth of knowledge. We're already seeing all of that. Well, I like to talk about it. So I, I literally, uh, that's all I talk about. In fact, my husband- We do call you the weed lady. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my husband will tell you that that's all I talk about all the time. And I'm lucky because now I have a team. And so when we're all together, that's all we talk about. Yeah, it's refreshing. I mean, it, it, you see people that love what they do all over the place, but getting to be face to face with you, it's just inspirational. It's refreshing. And I'm loving every minute of it. Thank you. Uh, I, I really do. Um, I really do enjoy, you know, being able to make a difference and help the communities, you know, and there are communities in Riverside County that have really, you know, suffered due to the illegal cannabis trade, uh, groundwater loss, wells going dry, um, crime. So uh, it's something that I, you know, am really passionate about. Uh, you can do it. You just need that permit. One of the one of the things that um, me and Cecilia actually joined, you know, the the uh, multi jurisdictional um, uh, roundtable that you host. So for those that don't know, Jennifer does host uh, a multi jurisdictional uh, uh, forum where we discuss everything weed, and we're seeing what different uh, cities are doing, and you know the new tools that they're using. And you know, Jennifer's been very very uh, influential in in that market. I mean. 
we're able to like say, hey, this is working for our city. Why don't we try it here? We try it there. And it's just, you know, just bringing jurisdictions together is a task within itself. You don't have to corral everybody. And then not only that, but she also, um, you know, people in the in, in our industry get to share like in a presentation what they're doing and give us the lowdown on how the step by steps on shutting some of these illegal dispensaries down. Because, you know, with when it comes to weed, you're also looking at, you know, illegal alterations and in, in, in structures, you know, you have a lot of um, a lot of irrigation next to open electricity, which creates a, a crazy fire hazards. You have mold, you know, like in you know when I was uh, before the conversation started here, we were talking about my trip to Colorado, how the housing market was decimated because people were buying these homes, converting them to weed grows, and then mold just you know was all over the place where it, it was nearly impossible to to rehab those places. So, and not only that, but it's it's dangerous. Like you know, doing this type of enforcement because there's a criminal element. Sometimes you know the, you run into more than just weed. And sometimes you have, you know, honey oil labs, you have, you know, you have all this crazy stuff. You know, now for those that don't know what honey oil is, can you tell us a little bit about uh, honey oil? Well, honey oil is uh, what they do. They extract the THC using volatile compounds. Sometimes they use uh, propane with a closed loop system. Sometimes they use butane. And uh, the problem is, is that uh, large amounts of it, it's heavier than air and it can create an explosion hazard. Um, It's actually the same felony charge. And I don't know the exact penal code number, but it is the same felony charge as a meth lab. So if someone is extracting, uh, you know, making concentrated cannabis or honey oil. They call it sometimes wax, sometimes shatter. It just comes in different forms. Uh, if if they're doing that and they have the three elements, which is the product, the shake, uh, the you know the extraction device, and the actual explosion hazard, which could be the butane. Uh, <laughs> It is a felony and law enforcement can actually charge them with the same uh, penal code that they do when they have a, a honey or a meth lab. So it is it is something uh, we see them quite often, uh, but typically those are kind of housed a little differently. And I, I would say that that uh, they're they're very secreted away. So they're not as open as when you see an open cannabis grow or a cannabis grow that's in a uh, 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 greenhouse that I might be able to, from the road, say, hey, they're growing cannabis there. So I do see them on occasion. You, You more often will stumble into them as you are there with either law enforcement or yourself. And it's kind of one of those things, if you're by yourself, you ignore. You ignore until you leave the property and then you might say, hey, I saw this, you know, it's not something we want to like talk to them about, or it's just, you know, blinders play dumb. I didn't see a thing and then let law enforcement handle it on, on a warrant of some kind. Yeah. And, you know, doing what you're doing, there's a lot of officer safety concerns. I mean, because, you know, there's that criminal element because you never know who, who's actually, you know, part of that, you know, weed grow. You know, in California, um, Riverside County has a lot of open space. So you mm-hmm. have these like masses of, of, of land with a lot of cannabis where, you know, when you're serving a small city, like a six mile city, you're not going to see that. So the enforcement and training, it's different for, 
you know, you might see uh, pot farms, you know, you see helicopters, mm-hmm. uh, some of them are cartel run. So, you know, so what are, what are, what are some of the officer safety uh, issues that you, you deal with when, uh, when it comes to uh, cannabis? Well, I mean, uh, certainly many of the grows are protected, uh, especially as they get close to harvest. We're talking up to hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cannabis that's there. Uh, there are robberies that occur. Um, our model has been uh, we try to get that low-hanging fruit. We really, you know, we are the sneaky team. And I'm not going to go into how we sneak around, but we do sneak around. Uh, I have uh, flown uh, with the sheriff's department. I've flown with uh, the National Guard. I will take, I will beg, borrow, and plead to get a flight over. And when I'm there, I'm taking pictures. You know, I'm going to take pictures of as much as I can. Um, We're going to look eventually into possibly being able to use drones. Um, my county is is uh, my manager, my division manager. He's he's really looking into this, and I know that some jurisdictions are using it under uh, very uh, strict circumstances. You know, flying from just the road right away. You know, not flying over, and so that's something we're we're definitely looking at uh, legally wise. Is that something we can do? Uh, we have developed ways. We, we leave notices at the property. Uh, there are some areas where, yes, the officers do the knock and talk because a lot of the growers will go to a mom and pop property and they're like, hey, I'd like to grow my plants in the backyard. And the, the property owners are like, well, they're going to pay me, a, you know, whatever they pay them, $1,000 or however much. And it seems like a good deal to them. And those are people we really want to educate. We, you know, we, they're, they're a victim sometimes just as much as the community. So we really try to make sure that we are uh, staying safe with the officers all wear uh, load-bearing uh, vests. When they're out there, you know, to make sure that they're safe, they have, uh, they use um, radios and um, they also know that, that there is nothing there that they have to get. And so we're, if they can't see it and they just can't safely do it, we have a lot of friends in law enforcement and they love referrals. So we refer to them, they refer to us. And we have really developed a, a very large network of, of team players that we have here in Riverside County. So if one of us can't address something, there's definitely another stakeholder that can. That's awesome. It sounds like, you know, that leads into my next question, actually. Um, you know, you guys have a really buttoned up package here in Riverside County. It sounds like you work really well as a team. We have a comment from Mr. Jack Applegate. Good morning, sir. Um, it says this is a huge battle in Southern Oregon. What would you suggest for, you know, someone who has a comment like that where, you know, how do we get that uh, collaboration and that teamwork to go in and really look at these type of issues and be able to mitigate them in the best possible manner? Well, I was super excited when I saw Mr. Applegate's uh, uh, comment there. Right. Because, because um, in November, I actually went up into Oregon to uh, to see a family member, but I made it my mission to stop at a few places and talk to jurisdictions uh, to, I well, up at the border, 
um, Siskiyou County, which is right there at California. And I've read some articles about what Oregon, Southern Oregon is going through. And I was like, hey, I'm wondering if what we're doing, because I know that Southern Oregon is having a lot of problems with registered hemp farmers growing clandestine cannabis under their hemp registration, you know, because you can't you can't look at a plant and and tell if it's cannabis or hemp because the only thing that makes them different, they're both cannabis plants, is the amount of THC. What makes it hemp is it has less than point in, in California, 0.3% THC. If it's between 0.3 and 1%, now it's hot hemp. It's technically not like a recreational grade uh, cannabis, uh, but it's still too high to be considered hemp. So I know that they were having, I read an article that they were having a lot of problems with this. And this is something that we in Riverside County have started to address using a multi-agency approach with the district attorney's office, with the agricultural commissioner. And we actually have developed uh, this thing called a sample warrant because we can't go in. We don't want to take all of their plants and then have us be responsible if it turns out to be hemp that we destroyed their their hemp crop it's a legal crop so we go in with law enforcement with a warrant and we, we it's a soft warrant at first we call hey registrant hey we're at the front door we'd like for you to open up so we can test the plants and then the plants are tested and if they come over the legal limit then uh we come back and destroy them or they've been removed but what's happening is the district attorney now is starting to use the civil process rather than the criminal process to address these people who are, you know, using a legitimate registration uh, and are using it to hide the fact that they're growing cannabis. Also, the state of California, our Riverside County Agricultural Commissioner, because of what was going on here, pushed, they did not have anything that they could revoke these permits from the state. And because of us, you know, what we were finding in our agricultural commissioner pushing it, they were able, they wrote, the state wrote in uh, verbiage to have revocation. So now we revoke them. It's like a one strike, you're out, your registration is revoked. Is that a better process? Have you found I think that the civil process is a much better process for cannabis because especially if you're in a state where it has been basically decriminalized, um, it, it takes the morality factor out of it. It's not, it, it's, it becomes just a standard permit or no permit activity. Uh, no, it's a land use violation. And in Riverside County, we use the civil process. We don't use the administrative process. Using the civil process and taking them to court and actually uh, suing them. We hold that property owner accountable. Uh, the city of Riverside took it all the way to the Supreme Court that, that jurisdictions have a right to, to uh, have what they want in their jurisdictions. And there's a lot of case law that says that you as a property owner are responsible for a nuisance, whether you know it or you, you don't. Right. And law enforcement can't hold a property owner responsible if they can't prove knowledge. And if you have an out-of-state property owner purchase this property simply for the fact of allowing a cultivation to occur, it's so much better to do civilly because we put their name down and say, hey, we're able to collect civil penalties, we're able to collect costs and fees, and we get temporary restraining orders with abatements 
and our contractor is law enforcement. And there, when we do that, we're able to recover those abatement costs from the property owner to pay law enforcement. <laughs> Taxpayers no longer have to pay for law enforcement to take hours with several officers to do the manual labor to remove and destroy the plants. That's a great process. I mean, it's it's very similar here and in, in looking at it from the civil side, the code enforcement side versus the PD side. Um, yeah, you are. You're looking at, you know, can you prove that the property owner knew this happened? Well, regardless, the property owner should be and always shall be responsible for what's going on in their property. So I think that's a great point that you brought up with civil versus um, criminal enforcement. Anywhere that we can support law enforcement and, and, and you know, bring what we can bring to the table, uh, it, it, it is so important. Uh, when I first started this, there was probably law enforcement that did not see, you know, our value. And now I really think through the hard work that we've done, through me just kind of being a pest, you know, I want to go out with you. Let me help you. What can I do? Uh, I want to help you. I think that they have seen uh, what we can bring to the table. And that is always my goal is to do this with a, uh, a, a team effort and uh, interagency effort and give them, I'm very responsive to law enforcement and whatever they can do, law enforcement, uh, the environmental health, all of your stakeholders, you know, you together can really, really make a difference. And I think people forget that, you know, we have a different set of authority tools in law enforcement and same thing with the health department. We all have different tools. And when you put a, you know, the tool packet together is just unstoppable and you know talking to um you know law enforcement one of the things at four leaf that we do is we get to talk to a lot of cities and a lot of times the police department like they inherit code enforcement they don't know what to do with them because they really don't understand what code enforcement does and once we educate them on you know what hey you guys take care of the bees we take care of the hive it it just <laughs> it, makes sense. it makes sense to them and they're like wow we, you know, it's kind of like when you look at your remote control and you have all these buttons and one day you realize that these buttons do all this cool yes. stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's code enforcement. And, and I think, you know, just, you know, hearing the tools in Riverside County, you know, you running the multi-jurisdictional things, you know, like, for example, when I used to do, um, you know, enforcement of cannabis, we used the building code. That was our go-to is mm -hmm. like the building code. Hey, it's going to, you know, there's substandard issues. We're red tagging it and then hold the property owner responsible, you know, in an administrative process, you know, not a civil process, but administrative process. And that worked for us because we were very, you know, we don't want it in our city. It's not going to happen. And, you know, heavy fines and penalties. Some cities use injunctions. Others are using receiverships. There's so many different tools that, you know, in the that different jurisdictions are are seen. So, what are some of the, some of the tools that you learned about it during the uh, during the uh, your your you know roundtables that you host? So, the roundtables have been really great. Uh, CC did like a, a presentation on what they're doing up in Oakland for dispensaries. Uh, we've talked about. Uh, San Bernardino County uh, is now starting to do a different process that's like a little bit more administratively, but they've actually developed a cannabis team, code enforcement-wise, which is uh, more like our team. Um, we're seeing that cannabis 
cannabis enforcement is so different because cannabis cultivation is different for the area. What what happens in Riverside County isn't going to happen in the city of Moreno Valley it's or in the city of San Francisco. There's not open space. Uh, it's hard for us to do. You can't do a substandard structure on a well-built greenhouse. You can do like an unpermitted construction or an open air grow, which is what we see in our microclimates, like in the high desert. Uh, up in Northern California, they have a lot of open space like we do down here. They use a, I've heard them talk about cannabis court. They have cannabis court. Siskiyou County, they were having a water issue where they were actually, you know, running dry. Uh, uh, an adult cannabis plant can take up to six gallons of water a day, you know, towards the end. They really like water. And um, so what they started doing is they started doing moratoriums on what uh, getting a new well permit put in uh, just to try to save the groundwater. So everywhere that you grow cannabis, it is it is grown in such a way that many of the jurisdictions have a very unique way of handling it. And that's why I wanted to start the multi-jurisdiction, because what's working here, I would love to know. There's no sense any of us recreating the wheel. We can really learn from each other. And that learning starts with us communicating. And I had gone to a kind of a round table that was local. It had San Diego County and it had San Bernardino, Riverside County, and several of us. And it was all law enforcement and county council and city attorneys. And it was me and one other code officer. And I thought... Wow. And they were talking about code. They were talking about the, these are code techniques. These are what code, you know, could be doing and should be doing. But I thought code is not sitting at the table. We don't have a place at the table. And it kind of came to me, like, I think we need to get a bunch of code officers together and say, what are you doing? And this was at the beginning of the pandemic. I kind of first envisioned it like a, in, in a, a room but because of Zoom and how the pandemic has kind of changed the way that we have, you know, communicate and we can meet, I was able to get people all the way from Northern California down. And now my next goal is for this next year is I really want to take it nationwide because I want to learn from Colorado. I want to learn from Oregon. I want places where they're just starting to step their foot into the legalization process to maybe be able to learn from us. What, what setbacks did we have? What setbacks did Colorado have? Like you mentioning the housing crisis. Uh, these are really important, you know, things that we can learn. And just yesterday I was talking to another jurisdiction and they actually said that they have a specific permit, like a rehab permit when they have a cannabis grow house. And I thought, that is amazing because it involves having like an environmental survey done for mold. We don't do anything like that in the county. So I talked with my director and um, he talked with the powers that be and they think it's a, a good idea. So that's going to be something we're going to try to do. And that will open up the door even more for us to be working with law enforcement, to be there, to make sure that these houses are properly rehabbed so that the next owner, because we know that they'll sell them many times right away, the next owner can go into a house that doesn't have any environmental issues. 
And, and it is a, it is an issue. I mean, I, I've seen some crazy alterations. I'm pretty sure you've seen some like pretty gnarly stuff yourself. It, you know, like the elaborate um, venting units and, and there's electrical theft, the water theft. I mean, you see all sorts of, of crazy things out there. So, you know, it's important for jurisdictions to kind of know uh, what they're getting into. And, you know, just kind of brings it to another point that, you know, Cannabis enforcement becomes its own kind of sub uh, sub enforcement unit, like you know, illegal dumping officer, which you were, you know, that's a, its own special stormwater inspector zoning. I mean, there's so many code enforcement. We wear so many hats, we do so many things that we start becoming specialized. You know, it, for me, I, I do a grow house here and there, you know, and then go to my next inspection, you know, smelling like cannabis. <laughs> you, you know, so I go, hey, what have you guys been doing? I'm like, oh, we just went to a grow. Yeah, it smells sticky, you know, <laughs> whatever. But um, yeah, so with you guys, you guys are just going place to place, cannabis, cannabis. It's it's uh, awesome, you know, just to focus on one particular item. It's it's just amazing. Um, you know, we're really lucky. I, I have to say, uh, me, myself, so lucky. I have just a great team. Um, the success was from their hard work. They have always worked really hard. Um, we we partner a lot with our uh, our other code enforcement officers when we're going into areas. Many times, well, they'll have cases on these properties, and we work really hard to be with them and um, you know do whatever we can to partner up to really address all of the. The, the problems that are on a property. At first, when we first started doing it, I, we wanted to try to address everything if there was a cannabis grow, but it, it became quickly apparent that we just, as a, a small cannabis team, really had to focus on the cannabis. And we do address greenhouses or indoor grows as much as possible. Um, we have tried to use uh, techniques that like we do noticing, we don't have to post it, but I like to post it at the property because it's getting quicker compliance. The way um, we do it at the our level is we give them on the first offense seven days to remove it. And then if they don't, then we send it to our council and the council takes them for a preliminary injunction with a removal order. And then after that, they, you know, if they remove it, great, but if, you know, if they don't, then I come in and I remove it for the community. So Jennifer, if I can ask, kind of going off of another one of Mr. Applegate's questions or comments rather, um, stating that he's seen everything imaginable from serious explosions um, with the extraction folks that have ignored plans and permits and so on and so forth. You know, I've been in those same situations where the impacts are very different. Um, and with a group like yours, we, we learn from all of the, you know, basic outcomes. Um, and I think that that's really important with what you're doing is because the impacts are so different in every jurisdiction or a different state uh, to actually come together and, and talk about what those resolutions were. Um, I know he stated here is, is now doing that those folks are now in prison. Well, I'm working with one right now where they never even got to that point where we even saw them in court because they're sticky, sticky, you know, but yeah. I think it's really important. Do you guys focus a lot on, you know, what those resolutions are? understanding how we can learn from that and push that out in your round table, if that makes sense? Uh, yes, yes. I, I really want to uh, make, you know, bring a lot of voices in. And we have seen, we have had people talk from the legal 
you know, side, the jurisdictions, we had Desert Hot Springs talk about how they manage their legal process. And it, it's really great. You know, we're looking for those different resolutions and what worked or what worked originally and then stopped working and how you overcame that and what are you doing now. Uh, everybody's resolution at the end is so valuable uh, to, to have it out there. Um, we're very polarized, if you think. I, I mean, many jurisdictions, we're not talking to each other except in forums like this. And there's so much that we share, commonality that we share, and differences that we share. But we learn from, from others, other techniques where we were, you know, three years ago, uh, we're not at the same place now, and there are jurisdictions that are, you know, miles beyond where I am now. And I just want to soak up their knowledge. I want to soak up how they got to that point and where they're at now. Like Desert Hot Springs, when we talked about it, we, Riverside County, are just now in the infant stages of having our uh, legal uh cannabis dispensaries, they're well into it. So I learned so much by seeing what was working for them and also how they handled those dispensaries that were not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because I think that, you know, it seems overwhelming at first. And what's the plan if they don't do this? And wh where do we go? And they're definitely, they were my expert. Now, thank you. You know, thank you for letting me know. And so... The resolution, yes, is is very important at the end. Yeah. You know, isn't it funny, though, you know, when we're creating codes and laws and ordinances, we we always kind of resort back to what another jurisdiction is doing or case law, but not so much in this case. So I love that. I love what you're doing. It's definitely a, 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 it gave me an opportunity to every day think outside the box. But that is exhausting. It is exhausting <laughs> at times. It's exhausting to try to solve problems. That, that come up and you're like, I don't know if I have it in me to solve this problem again. And that is why discussion, putting it, you know, saying, hey, what do you think? Going to experts, even in my department and saying, I want to do this. What do you think? Uh, you know, discussing it with your team, discussing it with other jurisdictions. It's so important. That is how all of these ideas you know, are made. These ideas didn't just come from me. They came from me collaborating and talking and bugging people and saying, what do you think? And trying, trying things that failed. We failed a lot of times. We did things and they didn't work. Okay, back to the drawing board. Let's try this. And, the, and then sometimes the growers made me better because they would change things. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's try it this way. Yeah, one one of the things, Jennifer, that you know we see is, you know, this. First of all, I like to say like we're not anti-cannabis because it's legal in California. It's yes. just the it's the unsafe of uh, unsafe practice of growing cannabis that the really the focus because it does create another market when it comes to you know uh, there's jurisdictions that allow cannabis and you know uh, folks aren't reporting sales you know there's no way to monitor and you know cities are losing out on the revenue and taxation that you know to help uh, fund you know police efforts and, and those kind of things for people not following the rules so this kind of leads to another kind of place where you know code enforcement 
is evolving. I mean, we're, you know, we start looking, you know, you're looking at uh, distribution, you're looking at uh, delivery, you're looking at, um, you know, uh, business licensing. I mean, there's so many things that, that are, you know, that are coming into, into play when it comes to cannabis enforcement and in, in code enforcement where you need a person. So today's uh, talk was about creating a task force and creating, you know, things like that. So we're kind of going back because I know we talked a lot about cannabis, but, you know, you as a person that has created a niche for, you know, for creating a task force because you've been asked to help other counties and help other jurisdictions, you know, give them information. I mean, you're a go-to subject matter expert. And that's why we have you here because we want to share your knowledge with our code viewers. I mean, we have, you know, we have um, uh, people in politics and, you know, watching our, our program. We have uh, building officials, you know, uh, legislators. And, you know, we really want to put the information on the importance of code enforcement, code enforcement tools. Now, when it comes to you doing your um, when you put your task force together, what was the first thought process and, and say, hey, I want to do this. You know, this is something I mean, because not everybody does that. So what was it that made you think outside that box? Well, I think what it was is that I wanted to uh, I wanted to help, you know, as much as I could. But I also wanted to learn. I was a little selfish. I, I really felt like there were people out there that could probably give me information and and maybe help us tackle some of the the things that were we were starting to see and I looked at it as an opportunity to um, you know make friends and 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 maybe not friends but you know get professional contacts who were doing the same thing as I was I felt kind of alone like it was just me and I knew there were other people out there doing, you know, what I was doing. It's kind of like when you go somewhere and you meet a code officer and they're like, oh, I'm a code officer. And, and you're like, oh, so am I. Let's talk. Let's be best friends. Did we just become best friends? We did. You know, it's that kind of thing. And I have, I'm actually, Riverside County is one of the only counties we have, uh, the district, the district attorney has a cannabis regulation task force. And I'm the only person on there that's not law enforcement. The rest are law enforcement. I'm the civil arm of it. And all we do is, is our whole goal is to do unfair business practices. And this is so the legal market can succeed. Because what's happening is the illegal market is undercutting and, and preventing that legal market from succeeding. So we only do unfair business practices. I, I have nothing against cannabis. It is, I, I think cannabis has been really good for, for a lot of places, legal cannabis. And I think that done in a legal fashion where it's safe for the consumer because it is a process that is ingested and, and put into the body. I, I think is great, but it's the unfair business practices, dare I say the tax evasion that occurs is, is what we specifically deal with. So I thought, this might be a little controversial, but I thought many times code is kind of treated like the baby sister, the baby brother. You know, you just come in and we have so much that we can bring to the table. We have tools that no one else has. We have ideas because 
one of us as code enforcement, we have to figure out how to do everything with less, you know, how to make that ordinance work to make a, a, a difference for that community, how to, mm-hmm. how to bring in resources that maybe aren't there. So we are the problem solvers. We're the, the, the people that come in and can take care of stuff. And that's why I see so much value. And I thought it was just important for other code people to know, like you are valuable in this, in this uh, process. You know, you're not just the little brother, little sister who shows up at the the cannabis grow and, you know, red tax. You have you have thoughts and ideas on how to make this process better. Law enforcement is is, you know, constantly they're just chasing their tail. They're looking. They're trying to find it. What can we do to assist them and to assist the community by bringing uh, a very dynamic approach and bringing our tools to the table? You know, you're you're waving the flag that we wave here on this on this show because, you know, one of the reasons why we put this up, you know, this kind of show out there is because, you know, we believe that code enforcement is that important. You know, we we bring tools all the time that people never thought of, and you know, once we become really, you know, once you have that collaboration with law enforcement, it's just a whole game changer. And a lot of cities don't do that; they just don't have that collaboration, and it's. Once once they learn, you know, we all stay within our lane, but, you know, we're, we're driving the, to the same place. And end of the day, there's nothing controversial about, you know, what you said, because every time I'm me and you, we have conversations about code enforcement because we're that dorky. Same thing with Rachel. It's just, you know, and, and I've never gone home any day and then say, I hate my job. You know, the job is, you know, is what we do. It's it's an important part of code. You know, we're just we're important part of the community. And I think over time, you know, when jurisdictions stop seeing code enforcement as a luxury versus a necessity, that it, it changes because now we touch everything, licensing, building, planning, you know, law enforcement. I mean, we touch everything. And. It, folks need to understand that, you know, the numbers that, that code enforcement had isn't as great as the numbers of law enforcement. I've seen jurisdictions with 80,000 people and one code officer. to yeah. serve, And that's just, uh, you know, you need a lot more staff to help you resolve some of these community issues or they're just, you're just playing whack-a-mole and chasing your tail, like you said. So. Well, yeah. that's exactly why we have, sorry, Jennifer, that's exactly why we have you on the show, like Pete said, because we're trying to provide resources, right? We're trying to um, get everyone involved in something that we all have such a passion for. So with that, I do want to know, how do we get to be a part of your awesome roundtable? Well, um, if you're in California, uh, you can, uh, Pete's going to put my email, you can email me and ask if you can be part of it. We do it once, about every quarter. Uh, I once every three months and I have different topics. I'm, uh, I'm always looking for other jurisdictions that want to speak or just talk about, uh, what they're doing. Um, you can do that and stay tuned. Uh, hopefully if I take this nationwide and it probably won't be every three months, it might be once a year or twice a year, uh, we're going to try to promote it as much as we can. Uh, right now, what we've done is basically just word of mouth. Uh, I found a, a code enforcement page uh, on Facebook. We had a bunch of code officers, and I said, hey, would anybody like to join? 
and people started sending me their emails. And every time I meet a code officer that might have any interest in cannabis, I'm like, would you like to join? Would you like to come and listen to someone talk for, you know, an hour about just cannabis? And we do a lot of really interesting, I think they're interesting, but weird kind of topics like clonal propagation. Like how do they make clones? How are they making these little baby cannabis plants? What are you seeing? You know, what's a mother plant? This is a mother plant. And when you look at it and, you know, testing of a mother plant, every little kind of crazy thing you might have learned, that's what we discussed and uh, discussed there. And, you know, just kind of bring that random, like, you said, Pete, dorky knowledge that that most people wouldn't maybe know or, you know, that I might know. Uh, I might not know it. Bring it to me. And that's what we, you know, try to bring. So I would love to have anyone that wants to join. And I mean, I probably wouldn't be opposed if somebody was not from California joining in. And yeah, Come, we'll we'll talk. You, you know, you can learn what we're doing here in California and the struggles that we're having. I love it. All information is useful information. Yeah. So I, um, my type's not working, so I can't uh, I can't put your email okay. up. Okay. Well, but, I'll uh, tell it. Anybody, any anybody, they can actually if you go to um, uh, Pete dot Roque at Outlook dot com, uh, you can definitely email me and. It's pretty simple. My name, <laughs> dot roque at outlook.com. And that's my email address. You can send me a, uh, and I'll forward the information over to Jennifer. Great. I love it. Yeah. No, and it, it's, it's, it's also, we'd want to um, kind of thank you for, um, you know, some of the stuff that you're doing because you did, there's an interview with Jennifer uh, for the women leaders in code enforcement. She was actually one of the uh, people featured this year and our women leaders. Um, she attended last year. Uh, you know, hopefully she got some inspiration from women leaders. And, I did. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, um, just a shameless plug for women leaders. It was very life changing for me. Uh, you know, not because uh, of being a woman or anything, but there was a lot of positivity and uh, it was so professionally handled. And there was a, a lot of just really empowering messages, you know, and I, I just, I loved the training. I, I'm hoping to go to it again virtually this year. And it was just, it was very life-changing for me when I, when I saw it. I mean, I felt like I could go out and slay a dragon. You know, I just felt so empowered. So it was great and it was a great platform and I just loved it. So I, I'm really thankful to CC and Rachel and everyone that brought that, you Pete, that brought that to us. It was something that I, I just, I don't even think I could have ever imagined. And so to have the vision that you guys had to bring it, it was just great. For its first one, it was awesome. Well, we can't wait to see your interview. Yeah, and then just stepping it up, I mean, you know, this year we have a couple of the people that we interviewed last year, like Rachel teaching an awesome class on, on customer service. If, you know, that's her model is customer service, treat people with dignity and respect. That, that is her jam. So, you know, my jam is social media. That that's me. <laughs> you know, your jam is cannabis. And, you know, we had Lorena where her jam is accessibility and we bring these things. So people 
understand what it is that we're doing. You know, when, when we talk about cannabis, you know, somebody taking a class might not know, like you said, like what a mother plant is or what it is. You know, all I know is when I go to a cannabis place and it's super potent and I'm sticky, I'm like, hey, that was some good cannabis. I don't know what it is, but I'm sticky. So yes, <laughs> oh, that's that stickiness is uh, my life story. You know? <laughs> my and, whole and- house can smell at times and the washing machine. And sometimes I send my son off to school and I smell him. And I'm like, oh, you smell like cannabis. Oh, well, go go to school. You'll be OK. <laughs> you know? yeah, you come out, you're like, wow, they're, they're the cannabis uh, smelling people. Yeah, you smell like a skunk. It's very skunky. It's very skunky. But I've become so used to it. And and, you know, there's a lot of people that, that uh, you know, <laughs> they're, they're they don't like the smell, of course. And I, but, uh, it kind of becomes your life (laughs) and, um, yeah, you know, you, 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 you just, I can say that I, I, that both of your expertise, uh, Rachel, your heartfelt thing about customer service is something that's really close to my heart. We may be dealing with, this is something I tell, uh, my team, you may be dealing with criminals, but we're going to treat them like decent human beings. And that's really what our law enforcement, they, they do not treat, treat people bad. They, they will talk to them. They will laugh with them. They might be in handcuffs, but they're very, (laughs) they still treat them with dignity and respect, which is something I really, you know, took to heart. And also social media, Pete, I love social media. I watch a lot what's working for jurisdictions. I love your social media presence. So I'm always watching it. I'm creeping around watching it because I really love the way that you can um, reach out and and really, you know, bring people in that have, I think, code enforcement and probably a lot of things. We've just been fragmented over the years. And now is our time to really, you know, uh, become a, 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 like one group. And, and a hive mind where we kind of think the same and we see the same. And yours is always so dynamic, Pete. I love your, you know, the way you present it. It's just really great. You know, and it's funny because you said the, that whole thing about code enforcement. Hey, you're a code, kind of like Superman and Batman. Hey, your mom's Martha too? Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, it's, and it's one of those things. But I, I think, you know, I love inviting people like yourself on here that have Thank a true you. passion for code enforcement. And we have the same values, you know. We, we're really serious about our profession. We love our profession. We love what we do. Um, you know, serving the communities is like our jam. You know, I'm, I'm not here about negative negativity. It's it's no. all we just want to bring the message of code enforcement to the masses. And I think, you know, having people like you, Rachel, I mean, we're, we're we just love it. I, I, yeah. I can't say we just love it. Oh, yeah. I'm sitting here in awe today. You know, we talk about persistence and I'm sitting at my my very first board meeting for the ICC uh, Colorado chapter, which I very much inserted myself into because we, we want to collaborate more. We want to get in there. Right. And I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm just in awe of everything that you, you do. I'm in awe of your persistence. I love it because that's just what I am. You know, like I said, trying to insert myself in a world that you know, we, we do see collaboration, but we are an industry that's so pocketed off. Um, yes. We really were one. So having you on today is just a breath of fresh air. I'm just in awe of everything that you do. And thank you for what you bring to this organization. Thank you. Thank you. I, I've, I actually have uh, learned a lot from you guys. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't get tired. You know, and there are days where we are like, oh, man, this is this is tiring. But uh 
you know, just keeping going and really, you know, feeling the pride that I feel working for my organization. I, I'm very proud. I'm very proud of being a county employee. I'm very proud, even at my days that I'm tired, I'm still proud of, of what I do. I'm proud of what code enforcement officers do. I'm proud of the differences that we make. Even small differences, they're huge to someone. And and I'm just I'm just proud. And I'm so thankful that you guys had me here. I mean, Absolutely. anytime I can go and just talk about cannabis, talk about <laughs> my jurisdiction, I feel like super lucky. I'm the lucky one. I'm lucky. Thank you for letting me blast this out to that you know, the space, the internet. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely been a pleasure. And I have to say Thank a quick you. shout out too. You know, we have a couple of really awesome guests in our chat. You know, a current ICC international board member, uh, past uh, board member, Mr. Applegate, Mr. Sayers, you know, for them to come on the show and really want to hear what we have to do, what we have to say, excuse me, is empowering. And it makes me, it charges me up to continue going on, you know, with your passion, all of our passion together and the fact that we do have that support um, from, you know, those big wigs over there. You yes. know? <laughs> it means something and, and it's, it's quite powerful. So yeah. And Thank we have you. a lot of guests lined up and, you know, we, we, we try to bring in people that really have a passion for what we do. And, and it's, you know, just having you in our presence, it's, it's, it's an awesome feeling, you know, I know you, you always tell me you're in awe of me and we're in awe of I you. I am. We are you know? in awe of you, Jennifer. You're amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I, I, I'm just lucky. I'm blessed. You know, I, I, if you could say that, I, I just feel, uh, I, I get to do a lot of fun stuff and I, and I get to make a difference as much as I can. And I just, I'm really thankful, I guess is the way it is. I love it. And we are thankful for all the guests that joined us as well today. I'll let Pete wrap it up here in a second, but I did want to um, also speak to one of the comments that I just think is amazing here in our chat. And it comes from a gentleman, Alex Coyne. Hopefully I said that right. Um, but basically he says, we code enforcement will never know how many lives we have either improved or saved. It's not a glamorous job by any means, um, but it is so important. And we wish more municipalities understood that um, and really uh, embraced that. So thank you for that comment, Alex. So we really appreciate that. And thanks for all of our guests on today. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys. With that, everybody, thank you for tuning in. And if you want more information on cannabis, uh, please reach out to me. Uh, email us at codeenforcementeducators.com. Uh, free resources. You can watch the copy of this uh, stream again and show it to your jurisdiction if you want some more information. With that, thank you, everybody. And we'll see you next week. All right. Have Thank a wonderful Friday, everybody. Thank you, Thank everyone. You, Thank you, guys.